The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. And I know you are Mr. Bubble. But if you're not in a bubble, you really have got to be careful. You know, I'd prefer Bubble Boy to Mr. Bubble, but Mr. Bubble brings back memories of that box of detergent that mom would pour into the bathtub, Mr. Bubble. I mean, basically, it was detergent. You shook it out of the box like detergent, and that was your bath soap. Monday edition of Pro Football Talk Live. I was reminded. Now we know. Through a flood of emails that Mr. Bubble still exists, but you don't shake it out of the box like detergent anymore. It still exists? It's in a bottle. Yeah, Mr. Bubble still exists. You don't give up a brand like Mr. Bubble. You don't give that up. Jeez. Mr. Bubble lives. I didn't know that. Hello, how are you? Good morning. See what you miss when you don't work on Fridays? Oh, I know. It's very intriguing stuff. I know. It really is. Mr. Bubbles, though, I didn't know that. That was must have been before my time. Uh, I feel like we had some sort of liquid something that we just like liquid syrup that we threw in there. It might have been Johnson & Johnson. I don't know what the hell we had at that time. I figure your mom just used like dish soap with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're funny. You're funny. I, I was going to say <laughs> the same thing about you with Mr. Bubbles until I realized it was still around. <laughs> uh, so um, we, we are, as of today, one month and one week away from the start of the 2020 regular season. We continue to hope that it starts but we continue to monitor the developments in the news and we try to analyze and understand and predict and speculate and ruminate on what exactly is going to happen with the NFL, Chris. And at this point, I don't know. And I've accepted, I don't know. I've accepted that we're going to spend the next five or five weeks or so just waiting and watching and wondering whether or not they're going to pull it off. And every day there's going to be more data. There's going to be more anecdotal evidence that, allows us to feel one day optimistic, one day pessimistic, one day neutral. Today I'm feeling kind of neutral. I'm, I'm with a, a slight lean toward optimism, but tomorrow it may be different. And that's our reality as we prepare for the NFL season and we watch these teams with their experiences and we see who's opting out, we see who's testing positive, we see this, we see that. We're just going to have this constant sense of whether or not we think it's going to happen until it happens or it doesn't. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. And we're going to have plenty more curveballs thrown our way to think, you know, like you're saying, you know, peaks and valleys and, okay, I feel good this day and, oh, this doesn't look good. All right, I'll ask you this, though. Just, you know, as a sports fan, are the other sports giving you any confidence right now? I mean, I know basketball is not apples to apples to the NFL. They're certainly doing well. Baseball has survived a little bit of an issue and it looks like they're going to come out okay, even though they had some teams, you know, get a little unlucky. A few teams seem like they just wanted to be stupid about it. But does that make you, as a sports fan, feel any better as far as the NFL goes, Mike? The baseball situation is concerning for a couple of reasons. Number one, because we have seen outbreaks with two teams 
fairly early in their 60-game season. The Marlins had more than half of their players positive. The Cardinals had to cancel some games or postpone some games or whatever the appropriate word is. And Commissioner Rob Manfred of the MLB reminded the AP over the weekend that at the end of the day, winning percentage is going to determine most likely who gets into the playoffs and what seed they are because chances are not everyone's going to play 60 games. That dynamic, I think, has a chance of making its way to the NFL. The one big wild card for the NFL that we don't know and we won't know is whether and to what extent the virus transmits when you're on a football field, breathing and sweating and coughing and bleeding on top of each other. In baseball, you can have one team infected, and yeah, you can the feel other team's good okay. About the fact that the other team's not going to get infected because right. they're not on top of each other for three hours. Yeah, we're football see that. is going to be a different story altogether. That's where that's where this this hold your breath and wait comes from for me. Will it transmit? when they're playing games and can they be reasonably confident until they have point of care testing they can't be reasonably confident that everyone out there in that scrum is negative for the virus that's where my concern comes from yeah well I, I get it you're right and we don't know that and we're you know hopefully we'll find some of that stuff out through training camp as we kind of break down barriers here and everything else but uh, it, it does give me optimism, nonetheless, to see the other sports and to see baseball, I hope, kind of get through this makes me feel like, okay, hey, if we're in the NFL season and we got a team or, you know, a few players here and there that go through it, all right, we might have to suspend, po postpone a game, whatever it may be. We might be able to still survive the year, even though it might be weird and, and not necessarily fair across the board. Complete season, not full season. Remember, that's the buzzword yep, now. It right. will be complete upon the, the – uh, giving of a trophy from uh, the commissioner to whoever wins the Super Bowl, no matter how many regular season games there are, and no matter whether or not some teams play fewer regular season games than others. What you need to know this Monday morning begins with the latest on the COVID-19 front. Doug Peterson joins Saints coach Sean Payton as the two NFL head coaches who have tested positive. The Eagles coach tested positive over the weekend. He had two tests one positive to confirm the first positive because they still are concerned about false positives and false negatives. Peterson is positive. Now, Peyton went through it in the offseason, so it's not an issue now. Peterson asymptomatic, but still the protocols require him to be absent from the team for a certain period of time. He'll have to test negative twice, and then he comes back. But so far, so good. And most of these guys who we have seen test positive or end up on the COVID-19 list because you don't have to test positive to be on the list if you're in close contact with someone who has the, the disease, you automatically are put on the list. Matthew Stafford, Gardner Minshew, no sign that anyone is suffering any symptoms. And there are a bunch of guys who have been placed on this list. You know, for the most part, they'll they'll cycle on and cycle off and others will go on and others will come off. And this is just going to be part of our reality this year, this short term absence. And the guy comes back and whoever was taking his place gets cut and it just churns and it churns and it churns. And the question is when and if key players will be unavailable for a game and how much advance notice a team will have. I think that's really what it comes down to. You know, if Doug Peterson test positive on a Friday or a Saturday, you don't have a coach and you didn't have a chance to plan to not have a coach. That's the key. How much time do you get to plan to not have your coach, to not have your starting quarterback, to not have some other key player? You have to plan for the possibility that you're not going to get to plan for any of these guys being gone. Just in a moment's notice, guy's going to be gone and you got to be ready to go. That, that's part of the reality for this season, Chris. Well, it is. I mean, the, here's your, your warning shot, your shot across the bow right here. Whoa, hey, Super Bowl coach can get sick at any time. Who, you know, have a backup plan. What's it going to be? You know, like you're saying right here, it could be week five. Bill Belichick all of a sudden goes, damn, I got COVID-19. All right, so have a plan. Who's it going to be? Josh McDaniels, whatever. So I think this is something that's going to continue to be talked about with NFL football teams for these type of scenarios. Yeah, you got to figure out if you're a head coach of a football team, you know, who's that guy that you're going to have be, you know, roaming the, the sidelines on a Sunday to take your spot and that you think can communicate and manage a game all on a level that you deem acceptable when you're not there as a head coach. So that's one good one. Then you got the Matthew Stafford thing, right? And there's another – that's a warning for a starting quarterback. You better have a plan there. 
So, uh, it, it, I mean, I think these are all just little jump-offs to open eyes through organizations to go, okay, we, we need to have a plan for everything this year. Like you said, you never know when this virus is going to hit you. And, you know, those are two fairly big-time names that would uh, certainly be uh, affected on the play of Sunday if Doug Peterson or, or Matt Stafford weren't out there for their games. More than 80 players currently are on the COVID-19 list or have been placed on that list over the course of the last week because some of them have already exited. Gives you an idea, though, of, of what we're looking at here. We're looking at something that will be hanging around. The question is, as these guys are with their teams and in these facilities, which are by all accounts pristine and, and designed to limit, if not eliminate, the transmission of the virus from one person to the next, Will those numbers drop or will they stay the same? And the question becomes whether to what extent guys will catch the virus away from the facility. That's one of the concerns right now, coming up with ways to ensure that guys don't get the virus and then bring it to the facility and spread it there where even though it looks like they're doing a great job, it's not foolproof, especially once you go out and play in a game. That's where it's all going to potentially turn on its head, Chris. But I think that that they'll be able – to manage this because there are enough guys out there who want to play football. Right right now, the rosters for most teams are at 80. That means 27 will be gone within the course of the next five weeks. Those 27 per team will be ready and willing to go. And then the 10 per team that already yeah. have been shed, for the most part, that's another 320 right. up to 320 that are going to be available. It's going to be a lot of guys out there yes. who can fill in. The question is, and, and I think what it really comes down to is – an outbreak late in the week. If you get your outbreak Tuesday or Wednesday, you got time to plan for it and get other players ready to go. If you find out Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning that you're down five, six, seven, eight guys, that's when the questions and the concerns are going to emerge, especially if it wipes out one position group. Will the commissioner pull the plug on that game? That's what that's you know, as we try to drill down on how it can really affect the season. That's how I think it can really affect the season. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, one of those three days, getting the word that a significant piece of your roster or almost all of one position group out on the COVID-19 list for a week or so, you got to go forward with a game while these guys aren't available. Yeah, well, that's going to be tricky. It is. I mean, because that's a player safety issue to a degree. You know, I mean, it is. Okay, yeah. Uh, let's just say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they have an outbreak on the O-line on a Friday. All of a sudden, oh, man, we're only going to have, like, you know, two guys that we think can actually play. We even got some backups who got an outbreak here. I mean, are we going to put Tom Brady behind a bunch, like three other guys that are just coming off the streets and have no time to prepare, and all of a sudden they're playing, you know, the New Orleans Saints or some other really good defense with a front four like that? Yeah, those are going to be, you know – uh, very tough decisions that uh, I'm glad I'm not going to have to make them. And that's why Roger Goodell's making 40-something million dollars a year because it's not going to be easy to do that. But, yeah, they're going to have to weigh those options, talk to teams, figure out if the teams feel like, you know, is it is it doable? I think there's going to be a lot of conversations there. But that does worry me too, Mike. You're right. I mean, that that's a real issue, and I I would expect that that does come about at some point during the year. You speak of tough decisions that the commissioner may have to make. Players have to make a tough decision. So far, more than 40 have made that decision to opt out for the 2020 season. And there's a looming dispute, negotiation, stress point, whatever we want to call it, regarding the deadline for opting out. Now, it's been 10 days since the NFL and the NFL Players Association worked out their comprehensive agreement for football in a pandemic. The safety issues, the financial issues, everything. Revising the CBA on which the ink still wasn't completely dry from March, they basically renegotiated the CBA to allow for football this season. They haven't gotten it finished yet as they haggle over language. And the problem is, Chris, the way that they agreed to the opt-out procedure, the players have seven days from the moment the agreement is finalized. Well, 10 days after the agreement was informally finalized, it's still not formally finalized and signed, sealed, and delivered. So the seven days hasn't started yet. And you've got all these guys opting out. And the NFL now 
wants to restrict the opt-out deadline. So they're renegotiating one of the terms of the agreement that they've yet to finalize to give the players less time to opt out. I was told last night that as part of those talks, the NFL is making other concessions, and at the end of the day, it may be a good thing for the players that they agree to move the opt-out deadline to Tuesday or Wednesday of this week, and they get something else in return from the NFL for it. Now, until we know exactly what else the players get for that, I'll have no opinion on whether or not that's a good deal for the players because I personally think more time is better than less time for the players to make a decision on whether or not they're going to opt out of the season. You want to be at practice. You want to be on the field. You want to see how it feels. Ideally, you want to play in a game. Ideally, you'd have the opportunity like baseball players do to opt out at any time. Any given day, I can't do this anymore. I'm out. The NFL clearly doesn't want that hanging over their heads. They want to know who's in or who's out ASAP, and it could be that Tuesday or Wednesday of this week is when that deadline comes. Speak now or forever hold your peace. You're either all in or you're all out. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it's, it's tough. It really is. I can see both sides of the story here, okay? I mean, one, when you first see it, you go, oh, it's a little insensitive. Come on, these are tough times. Let these players have some time. Now, they have been there for, you know, we're getting, what, over a week now to where they can evaluate it to a degree as well. But where I do have at least a little bit of, like, okay, sensitivity towards the NFL, because I don't think this is just, like, the owners and Roger Goodell sitting there going, like, we got to draw, you know, we got to make less time for these guys to make a decision. I think they're probably hearing it from coaches, too, who were like, well, we'd like to know who's on our team a week from now or, you know, start building a team with, okay, here's a deadline. Guys, you got to opt in or opt out. Okay, here's the line. Now we know what our team is. They don't want to keep guessing here and going, well, well, we might not. We might need a whole new right side of our offensive line. We're not sure yet, but we're going to wait until these guys make a decision. So you have to be sensitive to the NFL and the coaches from that standpoint too. And that's where I get it a little bit. I do. So I wish they could find some common line here. I mean, you know, not that it has to happen tomorrow. You know, maybe it doesn't have to be a week, maybe just a few more days. But I totally get the NFL's perspective here. But, yeah, you do have to be a little careful here. Like you're saying, I understand it. You know, it is sensitive. This is not an easy decision to make. But what I will argue is it's different than baseball. You know, hey, baseball, you can go home. Yeah, and, you know, okay, they put in a, th- a second baseman and he plays and then you miss a few games and you come back and that's no big deal. It's just not the same as football. There's more moving parts. There's more coaching. And I think that's where it's probably getting a little tough for some of these organizations right now. What I'm told is that teams have two specific concerns, Chris, about this this indefinite window yeah. for opting out. Because, right. the, again, the seven days doesn't even start to run until they finalize the deal. And they haven't finalized the deal. Who knows when they're going to finalize the deal? And there's an incentive at some level for the NFLPA to maybe drag their feet a little bit to give the players more time. Two concerns, though. Number one, as players are starting to get that sense as to whether or not they're truly part of the plans for the season, some of them are saying, I'll just take the stipend. I'm out. I, I I'm hear get you. Cut anyway. Right. I'm going to get 150,000, 350,000 if you fall into the high risk category. The problem is, and this, I've yet to get a clear answer to this. If you don't make the team next year, do you have to pay the money back? Now, I don't think the teams want to worry about chasing around guys who got the stipend this year to pay back the money if they don't make the team next year. I think from a PR standpoint, that just looks bad that the teams would be trying to squeeze 150,000 here and there from guys who took the money at a time of need as part of something that was offered to them to get them through a season without compensation, without being able to play football. But there's a sense that it's not in good faith for these guys who feel the axe falling on their careers saying, I opt out. I mean, it's basically the old quit before you get fired. And if you quit, you get yourself a nice little package on the way out the door. That's one concern. The other concern, and I have yet to hear of anyone specifically doing this, and I think there's a PR reason for that. There's a concern that some agents are using the threat of an opt-out as a way to try to get more money, try to get new deals, try to finalize extensions for their clients. But you know what? I look at that and I say, hey, for some guys, whether or not you get a raise, whether or not you get that new contract, whether or not you get more money is a factor in whether or not you play this year. Sure. If you're if you're saying to a guy, hey, your salary's a million dollars this year, uh, you have to decide whether or not you're in or you're out. 
A guy may say, well, uh, you know, it's really not worth uh, me taking that risk for myself and my family for that compensation with all the other risks I take. Right. But then you throw on top of it a new contract with a big signing bonus and and an extension and guaranteed money and this, that. Oh, hey, you know what? It is worth it. Maybe I'm willing to take the risk now. I mean, that's part – it's a stew of factors. It's not just one issue, up or down, in or out. A lot of stuff goes into it. And how much money you're getting – and how much money you're giving up, Chris, has to be part of that analysis. So I don't have a problem with it. I just think the teams realize that, you know, they're yeah. used to always having the leverage. On this issue, they don't, no. and it makes them uncomfortable. So let's slam this window so these agents and players don't have the leverage. Yeah, well, I think as it pertains to, to what you're, you know, that specific part of the topic, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, the NFL, the teams for the first time ever are like, whoa, we don't have the power of the leverage here. The players do. And they're holding it over our heads. And I'm sure, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's a very real aspect. I, I'm sure that's going on behind the scenes. Now, you know, the other part of the taking advantage or bad faith, it's something that I thought kind of popped out right away. You know, you, you're seeing some of those guys who are, you know, again, just to look behind the curtain in an NFL team, right? 90 guys go to camp. Hey, a lot of those guys know what battle they're fighting. You know, that seventh receiver or sixth receiver who's on a certain teams, he's looking at the team going, well, I mean, I'm going to have to hope somebody gets hurt or two guys get hurt. He knows where he's where he is in the pecking order and whether he's not going to make the team or is he going to make the team or what role he'll have. So, yeah, I think that has jumped out to me, Mike. You know, guys in like year eight and nine where you go, ooh, they could be veteran you know, casualties this year and they're at a point in their career where they've saved some money and they might just go, I'm not sure I was going to make the team anyways, so I'll just take the money. Or you see that, you know, younger guy where you go, I've never really heard of him or he's not a big name or, ooh, I'm not sure he would have made that team anyways this year and he's taking it too. And it crossed my mind, certainly, but you're right, that option's out there, so it's hard to argue it. And the NFL ain't going to look good if they're chasing these guys around to be paid back next year. So uh, I think they're just going to have to you know, swallow the pill on that one. There's another opt-out angle that has yet to really land on anyone's radar screen. We wrote about this late last week. The NFL and the NFL Referees Association still finalizing their opt-out procedures. They have 121 officials lined up to go for the 2020 season. And, Chris, you consider the demographics of the group of officials, middle-aged and older. Yeah. They're already out there trying not to get trampled by the gladiators as it is. You give them the opportunity to press pause. When you consider, because the NFL, for the most part, doesn't have full-time officials, they all have other jobs. It's not like they're going to go without. They don't need a stipend. They just go work their other jobs for a year, and then they pick up their careers next year. I, I... so you're saying full-time I, I, officials that were getting paid a lot of money might have been a good idea now. I mean that, you know, might have been a good might have right? been a good idea. Might have been a good idea to keep them under your thumb, right. NFL. Right. Might have been a good idea to have full-time officials cuz it's going to be a lot harder for them to say see you later we're exactly. taking a year off. Right. It's going to be a lot easier for the part-time officials to take that year off and pick up where they left off next year. I haven't heard any of the details about what the opt-out window what the standards, what the factors will be. They may, maybe with the officials, they're not going to let them just say, I have no health condition, I have no family situation, I have no objective reason for being concerned, I just don't want to work in the pandemic. Maybe it's going to be harder for those folks to say I'm out because when you look at how many players have opted out, I have a feeling a significant percentage of the officials will opt out and that may be that pressure point that may be why they don't have a deal yet a month and a week away from the first game that counts especially when consider it these officials being thrust into the fray this year right there's going to be more mistakes than ever before because they don't have training camp they can't they they don't have preseason they can't go to training camps they can't do the things that ordinarily they would do to get themselves ready for the season and so they're going to be criticized you know where you you think people aren't going to criticize bad calls they're going to say oh well let's give these guys a break they they didn't have the access to preseason this is going to be a rough year for the officials anyway i think it makes it even more likely that some are going to opt out well like the risk is real i mean you're right hey the the referees got to get in the scrum a lot you know think about oh there's a fumble right there's two guys in there peeling off the bodies right doing that oh there's a fight there's you know guys up in each other's face yelling at each other. Oh, the referee's got to get in the middle. He's got to get like you know, 
hit from like mouth spray on both sides. So I understand him being concerned there. Definitely. Now where, you know, this is something I wrote down in, in my phone over the weekend. You're right. They're going to lose like the, you know, preseason experience, getting some of those plays under their belt. But the one thing that's jumped out to me about sports so far in, and especially in, in basketball and, and baseball, the fans not being there, Mike, I think has led to easier games for the referees. I'm seeing less complaining from NBA players, right? There's no fan yelling at the referee over his right shoulder like, you suck, you're the worst referee I've ever seen in his life. So he's not dealing with that. And I also think like the players aren't as embarrassed because there's the fans not booing or, oh, you shot an air ball and he's going to complain and make up some, you know, oh, I got fouled or whatever else. So it's been somewhat very smooth, and I've enjoyed that about baseball too. You know, there's no fans going, that's a horrible call. And now you're not seeing the players, you know, up, you know, you know uh, upstage the umps and yelling. I haven't seen any of that. So that was one thing I was kind of excited for, and then I saw this, and I went, oh, man, now we might have an F issue with the referees, and it might not even be the normal referees. And if we have backup referees in a year like this, who the hell knows what happens, especially if they're not going to – the backup referees don't get any reps to practice or do anything like that. That's when all hell could break loose. And one last note on the way out from this segment. They are going to specifically construct the crews to be geographically close to where they're going to have their games. You can have the same officiating crew pop up time and again for teams because they want to minimize the travel for the crews. They want to eliminate flying wherever they possibly can. They know that they can't completely eliminate it. But it's going to be a different year for the officials as well. And the first step is how many will opt out. And before we can get to that point, they have to finalize whatever the rules are going to be. They haven't done it yet, which tells me there's some push and pull. There's some tension. There's some pressure. And we'll see if they can get it worked out sooner than later. Let's take a break. The NFL finally has worked out a suspension for Antonio Brown. But it may not be the last suspension for Antonio Brown. We'll explain that when PFT Live continues right after this. Well, so much for retirement for Antonio Brown. And we knew at the time that he that he basically gave in to the frustration a couple of weeks ago because the NFL had yet to let him know what his status was, that it really wasn't a permanent retirement. He would continue to wait for word from the NFL as to what his status is. The word came Friday afternoon, eight-game suspension for Antonio Brown for violating the NFL's personal conduct policy. That's the headline. The, the text, though, of the story is more important than the headline because it doesn't end all NFL business as it relates to Antonio Brown's potential violations of the personal conduct policy. He had three things that the NFL was investigating. This eight-game suspension applies to two of them. What is still left is the thing that got this all started, Chris, September of last year, the lawsuit filed against Antonio Brown for sexual assault and rape. That hasn't been resolved yet. The NFL, I'm told, has conducted an investigation the NFL has not yet been able to come to a conclusion. The NFL will potentially take action based upon further evidence. And I, I think th th what the NFL is doing here is protecting itself against a verdict in the civil case that Antonio Brown did what he's accused of doing. Right. And if the NFL has previously exonerated him, then they look foolish right. because they get superseded by a verdict that says, hey, NFL, you got it wrong. You made an excuse yep. for a guy that a civil court in Florida decided did commit sexual assault and rape. So I think that is their out. Yeah. That is their, we, we reserve the right to change our minds later. Which I get which, it. Do you not get that yeah. or what? I mean. I No, I don't. I get it, but right. I don't like it. Right. Because you put an apparatus in place to make these decisions, NFL. You make a decision. Regardless of what happens in court, you know, they suspended Ezekiel Elliott six games and there was no criminal yeah, proceeding and there right. was never even a civil proceeding. Right. There was no lawsuit filed against him. Sometimes you've and if you're going to set up this in-house justice system, you can't just punt and say, well, we don't really know. And we know that there's another mechanism out there that may make us look bad because they may disagree with us. So we better not do anything. No. Make a decision. And if the evidence is inconclusive, then 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 close the case. We, we've talked to the alleged victim. We've talked to him. We've pursued other evidence. And 
we are at a point where we cannot conclude that he violated the policy. Well, good, then he didn't violate the policy and end this. But These then, things have to come okay. to an end at some point. You yeah. just can't sit back and say, we'll revisit this if and when this civil lawsuit gets resolved with a verdict against Antonio Brown. I don't like that. It's one of the many things I don't like about the personal conduct policy. Yeah. They need to do the investigation, make a decision, and move on. If you're going to have a justice system, you got to dispense justice. Justice delayed, as they say in the legal system, is justice denied. Well, what's taking the civil case so long? Do we really know that? I'm they, just, always take, they always, yeah, take, they always Chris, take forever. It was filed right. in September. They always take forever. Well, listen. They always do. You know, like, I, I, I mean, this it's a tough one. I mean, you're right. It's not right that he has to sit there and wait all this time and do all that. But I also think with a guy like Antonio Brown, with some of the issues he's had to deal with, that they got to take their time and be careful here. Because, like, to what you're saying, all right, like, well, let's just say the civil goes to civil, or let's say the NFL suspends him two extra games, right, for this thing. Because they, oh, we don't know. We didn't, you know, find enough evidence of wrongdoing. But, yeah, you put yourself in a bad situation and conduct detrimental to shield, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to suspend you, you know, suspend you two games. Okay, but you know, then you have like the civil the civil lawsuit, and maybe something comes out that we didn't know about, or more evidence of it. NFL should have found out about it. That, but that's the thing: if you're going to put a system in place to investigate, you got to find this stuff. You're right. Out. Then they need to you take the say, system out because it's 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 stupid. Because exactly. they're they're gonna they're burning themselves. Ultimately, they've put themselves in a very tough spot. So yes, I so to, with you there, I agree. Like get get it get done with it. Be be over with it because you're right. Right now they have they placed a system to where yeah, guy's life is on hold. Certainly now you know has he acted appropriately? Do I feel horrible for a guy that his life's been put on hold? Not necessarily. I mean he's had a few strikes here. We know that, and I think that's got to lead them to being a little bit more careful than usual as well. So I don't know. Ultimately, what do you think this does to Antonio Brown? Like. I still don't think any team's going to sign him until we hear about this last piece of the puzzle, right? I mean, I don't no, think any. No, 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 no. You think I so? think the message is. I think the message. I think that that when I when I look at what they said and I factor in what I know, I think the message is it's unlikely that anything more is going to come out of this incident, this civil suit in Florida, especially if he if he does what he should have done before it was ever filed, which is settle the thing. You can settle the thing with an agreement that that the alleged victim will not cooperate with anyone unless she's subject to a subpoena. She won't talk about it. She won't say anything. The cases get settled with those terms in them all the time, and she's already talked to the NFL. She's not going to say anything more to the NFL, and if they don't have enough evidence based upon what she's already said, they don't have enough evidence to do anything. But see, the problem is this entire thing is born of – a misguided PR concern that the NFL has to police guys' lives away from work in the months that the season isn't even happening. And the more they chase that PR angle, the more you get unfair results. And the fact that, yeah. and you touched on this, Antonio Brown's an unsympathetic figure. So it's harder to muster the will to stand up and pound on the table for fairness and justice for Antonio Brown because you're like, well, you know, he kind of gets what he deserves. I right. mean, you've got that nagging sense right. that, that, that this is all in a weird sort of way justified, but at the same time, this exposes the flaws, the very deep and profound flaws in the personal conduct policy. He's already served, Chris, a 14-game unpaid suspension yeah. because teams last year right. believed that if they signed him, with this sexual assault and rape lawsuit pending in the investigation with the NFL not resolved, he'd be put on the commissioner exempt list and they'd be paying him not to play. Well, now the end result of what happened Friday is, hey, once he serves his eight-week suspension or eight-game suspension, it's eight weeks if he's not on a team, it's eight games if he is on a team, he's good to go. That's the message. They don't have to worry. I, I think the last thing that's going to happen is yeah. he's going to serve his eight-game suspension, and then somebody signs him, and the NFL is going to say, sorry, he's on the commissioner exempt list until we figure out this other thing that's, that's still pending. I, right. that, that, that game is over. He's going to serve eight games, and he's going to be ready to go. The question is, who's going to give him a job either before then or after the eighth week of the season? Well, there's going to be some teams that are going to be interested, certainly. But, you know, that that is going to have to get figured out. And I guess where I go here, Mike, is like, so what is the NFL? What's the next step, though? The NFL just got to, like, 
wait for these cases to get resolved in court at, if, at some point if they don't want to get case. Yeah. One case. What? That's it. One it, case. The, the case that was filed last September yeah. alleging that he sexually assaulted and raped a former trainer, the thing that, that first put this mess on his docket and put him in a position where he was the subject of investigation, that's still there. And I think that when you read between the lines, and I assume that teams will be talking to the league office. See, when teams talk to the league office during the season, the message they got was, I believe, I don't know this, but I think circumstances bear this out. The message they got was, you know, if you sign him, right. we're probably going to put him on the commissioner right. exempt list. I think the message now is the eight games pays his debt to the NFL, and this other thing is just kind of going to, fizzle out unless there's a verdict against him, unless there's some dramatic courtroom testimony that creates a PR urgency to take further action. Again, it's not driven by any sense of justice. It's driven by protecting the shield. Yes. And that's what makes it wholly unsuited in the first place. And they should tear it down, burn it down, roll it up into a ball and throw it away because there is nothing about it that speaks of fairness and justice for the players. It's when you try to get into the business of investigating it and doing it yourself. It's one thing to say player pleaded guilty to a felony. We're going to impose punishment. And that's, that's one of the reasons why he suspended eight games. He pleaded no contest to felony charges arising from the incident that he had with a driver of a moving truck earlier this year. Right. You get suspended. That's the way it used to be. That all changed with Ray Rice, Greg Hardy, Adrian Peterson, where they felt like they had to do something more than sit back and wait for what the justice system does. Because if you remember the Ray Rice thing from six years ago, yeah. he, he, got, he got a diversion program or probation or something that didn't really match what he should have gotten. And that's when the NFL felt like, well, we need to make our own decisions. We, we can't trust the justice system anymore. In a weird sort of way, they've come full circle. They have. And now they're, they're back to trusting the justice system for the final word on this Antonio Brown case. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing that jumped out to me, Mike, is the fact that Antonio Brown didn't appeal the suspension either, which would make me believe that he thinks maybe this civil suit and all that could fizzle out as well. Like, hey, all right, that's good. All right, I'll pay my, you know, my debt to society, hash, you know, whatever, the NFL, and just, you know, take the eight games and see where it goes from here. You know, so maybe he's got a feel for that as well, and we'll see where it goes. But either way, if if the NFL gives off the the sense of, yes, teams are calling, and unlike last year where you said they were going, eh, we'll probably put them on the NFL, you know, the commissioner exempt list. If they're getting the sense this year that that's not going to be the case, you're going to have a handful of teams call for Antonio Brown. There's no doubt about it. Even though he hasn't played football in a year or whatever else, he still is not far enough removed from his prime or being one of the best receivers in football to where I would think a handful of teams you know, want his services. Coming up next hour, we're going to have a draft of the teams that we think should sign Antonio Brown. And I now believe, assuming he can get through August, September, October with no further incidents, and some may say that that's, that's not a justified assumption, Assuming he can stay out of trouble over the next three months, I think he'll be back. We'll draft the teams that we think should sign him when we return. Peter King has spoken with Lamar Jackson, and the defending NFL MVP was not as happy to win that award as you would think. We'll discuss that next here on Pro Football Talk Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Lamar Jackson in his second NFL season became the NFL's MVP, but no one wants to be the regular season MVP. They want to be the Super Bowl MVP. Peter King spoke with both Lamar Jackson and his head coach, John Harbaugh. Here is some of what Peter had to talk about with the MVP and the guy who some would say was the coach of the year in 2019. Did you watch the Super Bowl last year? Um, no, I didn't. Um, I watched the highlights like after the game. I was why didn't you watch? Why didn't you watch? Uh, I felt like we should have been there, you know. Like we, we worked so hard throughout the season, and to fall short unexpectedly is like I don't want to watch that. I feel like we should be there. Do you remember what you did that day on Super Bowl Sunday? Uh, I think I was I was on break, like because you know down there I had to we did the MVP thing, then I had to run around and do do stuff, and I was like, man, I need a break today. Like I don't want to go nowhere. I probably like snap a little bit that day. I just chilled. That was interesting because you were awarded the MVP basically in your hometown. Yeah. How did that feel? Oh, it felt good, but I, I really didn't want to be there because I wanted to be somewhere else, like getting prepared for the Super Bowl instead of winning the award. Like I, I'd rather have a speech on video. Like I sorry I couldn't be there because because you know <laughs> game, but I had to be there. I really didn't want to be on stage, so it is what it is. Football is the ultimate team sport, Peter. And, uh, and I would say Lamar Jackson is the ultimate t- team player. I mean, that, that's exactly how he sees it. Now, you're right. You know, someday he's going to look back on that, and that's, that's going to be one of those moments that, man, it's, he's going to cherish it. And he, when he was – I saw him beforehand. We happened to be – there was different stages for these different events, and I was down there, and I was walking with some friends, and we were, we were coming across the hotel, and I saw Lamar standing with his mom in front of his hotel, which was next to the hotel that we were at. And uh, and he was waiting for the car to pick him up to take him to whatever he had to go to, and he had he had his he had his like his orange or purple jacket with a with the 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 the, the lion or the, the the African wild dog in the back, yeah. and uh, and he was like he had this look on his face like uh, he was tolerating this, and his mom had this big smile on her face, you know. So I I feel like you know it was it was he got it more than he did because you know she's she's our age she's been down the roads a little bit and understands the meaning of it, but Lamar. He he enjoyed it and it did mean something to him, but and I think to his teammates, you know, because he he kinda, he did feel like they were part of it. And he said that, but no, nah, man, he was just he was he even said it, coach, coach, you know, we we got to be playing, we got to be playing in this game, we should be playing in this game. That's all he carries around with him, you know, twenty four seven. Of course, as a head coach, I love it. John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson. I misspoke earlier. Harbaugh officially was the coach of the year. I can never quite remember who the official award winners are for some of these that are close because by the time we get to the night before the Super Bowl, I don't care anymore. And I think that's what makes this presentation so awkward, Chris. It's been 20 years since the regular season MVP was the Super Bowl MVP. A lot of these regular season MVPs are available to attend the ceremony the night before the Super Bowl because they're not playing in the Super Bowl. Lamar Jackson, just the latest in a fairly long line of that. And yeah, of course he doesn't like it. It's unsatisfying. And when you look at what's happened with the Ravens the past couple of years, they get to the playoffs and they lose in their first game. And it's dangerously close to becoming a narrative if it happens again this year. And it's going to put more pressure on them this year. I remember when the Bengals were going through it. You know, hey, Marvin Lewis, you've now lost three straight playoff games. Hey, Marvin Lewis, you've now lost four playoff games. Hey, Marvin, you know, it's bigger and bigger every time you get back. They have to kill this thing dead the next time they're in the playoffs, and they likely will be this year. Yeah, well, agreed. I mean, first off, he should, you know, it's a special award. NFL MVP, damn. I mean, that's pretty big time. There will be a point in his life when he does really appreciate that. But every player wants to be on the big stage of the Super Bowl. There's no stage that can compete with that. You know, and to win the MVP on that stage is, 
yeah, you're more glorified in the, you know, in the in the history books to win the MVP on that stage as compared to the regular season, certainly. But I'm with you, Mike. I mean, you've been you've been banging this drum. I, I my dad was on my podcast with me last Thursday. He brought up this same subject that, you know, at Baltimore again, is the team we think they are, because I think they're probably the most talented team in football, top to bottom on the roster. If we get halfway through the year, we get into November, and it goes, oh, here we go. Baltimore's going to the playoffs. They're one of the better teams. That is all we are going to talk about. That is going to be the talk. I mean, last year going into the playoffs, we, you and I were having the same conversation with Deshaun Watson, right? You know, you, you were saying it. Well, they lost that first year to the Colts. They lose again this year. We're going to be talking about Deshaun Watson's 0-2 in the playoffs and can't win the big game and blah, blah, blah. Well, he won one. He was in danger of losing that one. But here we are with Lamar Jackson. And I think what, like, makes it a bigger conversation, too, is, you know, is the fact that he's still developing as a, as a, a pocket quarterback. And we know that we need to see that a little bit, especially in playoff football, because most times in playoff football, you're playing a defense that's smart, well-coached, and they take away some of those running things and everything like that. So it is going to be a story, and they're going to have to answer it only one way, and that's win a damn playoff game and shut everybody up. And really find a way to manage that pressure and that stress. And you know what? Maybe this year, one of the benefits if you don't have media in your building every day, if you don't, you know, it's, it's going to feel a little more sterile than usual. And some of those outside influences that would become palpable as you get closer to the playoffs. And that's the thing. When you get to the playoffs, everything grows. More media is present. You feel it. You, you, you know, you sense it. You and do. Maybe if they can just continue to go about their business and playoff week feels no different than a regular season week. That, that may be one of those things that helps them psychologically just treat it like a normal game. The more you make it a big game, Chris, the greater the chance you're going to realize when you're out there what the stakes are. And maybe you you press a little bit too hard. That's you what hold happened. the ball a little bit longer. Right. You're too careful because you know if you lose this one, it's done. Everything you work for, it's over. I agreed. I, I think that's, you know, Mike, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. That's what happened to Baltimore. You know, big moments. You know, oh, hey, here's a high pass Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Ball gets tipped in the air, interception. You know, holding the ball. Oh, fumble right before the half. Strip sack fumble. Titans score a touchdown, kind of game over. You know, John Harbaugh going forward on fourth down a few times that I didn't necessarily agree with. But I think that all went into, like, kind of what you're saying, Mike. They were kind of, like, in shell shock. They were like, what, what, what's going on here? We're in a game? We've been steamrolling everybody for, like, ten weeks in a row. And I feel like that did hit them. And hopefully they can learn from it and battle through those and, and you know, learn how to manage the game to what you're saying to where it doesn't get away from them like we saw two years in a row, basically. And then all of a sudden they got some, you know, a lot of cheap yards at the end of both games to make the game look a little bit more competitive than it actually was. And if you clinch the one seed with one or two regular season games left, maybe you don't take your foot off the gas. We saw what happened last year, and I think that was yeah. one of the factors as well. Great. Three weeks for the key starters. All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we return, I had a chance to speak to the NFL's chief medical officer on Friday. And all options are on the table, including something we have been pushing, the hardened bubble around each team to ensure that or at least limit the chance of the virus making its way onto the roster. We'll talk about that when PFT Live continues right after this. Had a chance to speak to NFL Chief Medical Officer Dr. Alan Sills on Friday about a variety of topics that I think are pertinent to the question of whether or not the NFL can pull off a season in a pandemic. And one of the things that we have continued to explore, not the concept of a full NFL bubble because there's just too many people, but a team-by-team no one goes home for the full season. You stay in a facility, stay in the hotel, stay wherever and keep the team together. I asked Dr. Sills whether the league has considered that type of a city-by-city city bubble. Here is that response and plenty more from Dr. Sills. It's our hope that players, coaches, and staff, because again, this isn't just about players, it's about everybody, that they are going to primarily go home. It's not to say they're never going to leave their homes, but they're, they're, when they do go out, they're going to use the appropriate preventive measures and do all they can to keep themselves safe. So in a sense, it's, it is that bubble concept, but it's just extended out to each individual player's environment. 
And again, as you point out, you have to rely on each person to make really important choices about what they do and trying to mitigate risk for themselves. But I will just point back, Mike, again, to being flexible and adaptable. As we get into the season and we see what the data shows us, we're going to remain open to all of these different scenarios and seeing what seems to be the most effective. So you're saying there is a possibility at some point if there are outbreaks that there could be a sequestration of players and coaches and teams in a hotel or in a facility? I think all options are on the table. We've said that we are going to continue to evaluate at every point and do what's safest for, for everyone involved. And so, I, you know, best way I can answer that is to say all options remain on the table and we'll have to uh, deal with each situation as it comes up in what we think is the safest and most thoughtful way. See, Chris, I think what they are ready to do, even though they're not doing it now, if they have the kinds of issues that baseball is experiencing, you're yeah. going to see teams get locked down, either one by one or the whole league. The question is going to become, if you do it for one or two or three, do you do it for all? But I think that is their fallback plan. And, uh, you know, it creates issues for the players because you're going to be removed from your family. You're going to have to ask yourself, do I really want to do this? They may have to they may have to open another opt out. window. Well, that's what I was going to say. How can you do that? You know, you're right. You got to have an opt out window. Oh, oh, we're in week four. Now I got to go to a bubble. Well, crap. I wouldn't have played this year if I knew I was going to see my family for, you know, four months. So I think that is a really real thing. Yeah. Sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Hey. And to the extent that the NFL and the NFLPA are still negotiating the deal that they did 10 days ago. Why not account for that now? Why not? If you, if you, I mean, you're taking all this time to write up the agreement. Why not anticipate that issue? Because it could happen. I don't know. It will happen that there's going to be an outbreak I in a would. team. You want to have the ability to break Can you bring your family in an into the bubble? Do, but, but either way, plan it now. Don't plan it on the fly later. We'll be back with right. more PFT Live right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.